This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Cape Fear Unearthed, a podcast from Star News Media. I am your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter for the Star News here in Wilmington, North Carolina. When you're not listening to me talk about history on this podcast, you can find my byline on coverage of the local film and television industry, my weekly TV Hunter column, and more over at starnewsonline.com. This week, we're going to flip to another chapter in our local history book of persisting legends, historical oddities, and mysterious figures. But we're going to be doing things a little differently. Instead of me telling you our full story at the top of this episode, I'm going to start by giving you some background information. And then, I'm going to bring in not one, but two guests who are here to help me flesh out the story of one of Wilmington's most haunted places. As always, you'll hear the story as it has been passed down through history and told through legend. And then, as we move through the episode... My guest and I will continue to interrogate the topic and explore whether or not history can be trusted. So settle in for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed as we explore the dark history and haunted happenings of Gallows Hill. Like any good southern town with a storied history that predates the Revolutionary War, Wilmington certainly has its fair share of ghost stories. Last season, we shared one of the most well-circulated of those tales with the story of the Mako Lights and Joe Baldwin's eternal search for his head. And though Samuel Jocelyn is said to have only appeared to his friend Alexander Hostler, with that famous plea to save him after being buried alive. Some claim that the failed rescue effort has left Samuel to haunt the St. James Episcopal Church graveyard on Market Street. This week's story takes place just a few blocks from that site, and it owes its origins to an even darker corner in Wilmington's history. There is no subtlety in the name Gallows Hill, a moniker given to the site where Wilmington held its public executions in the 18th and 19th centuries. It was located near what is now Fifth Avenue at Market Street, which, at the time, was the eastern boundary of the city. A few newspapers locally and across the state mentioned Gallows Hill periodically through the late 1700s and into the 1800s, around the time of the Civil War. The write-ups sometimes give the name and the crime of those who met the wrong end of the noose. And sometimes, they told stories of thousands attending the exhibitions, watching as their fellow residents, tried and convicted of various crimes, accepted their fate, or shouted their innocence right up until the moment the lever was pulled. For those who didn't have a family to claim their remains, it is said that they were buried on the spot a notion seemingly corroborated by stories of bones being unearthed around the site in the decades that followed. None of those buried were given markers, and with time, their bodies and their stories 
were forgotten, except for the few who are said to have stuck around after death. This particular ghost story is centered on the Price Gauze House, located at 514 Market Street. The house was supposedly built on the land that hosted the Hanging Hill. Or at least that's the explanation that multiple residents have called upon when strange things started happening on the property. The two-story, 12-room brick house pulls its name from its builders and their descendants, with the deed being handed down through generations. It was built by William Jones Price, a lieutenant colonel in the Civil War, appointed to the 8th Regiment of North Carolina troops in April 1861. He was discharged honorably two years later after being held prisoner on Roanoke Island. The home's spacious basement acted as an office for Price, who was also a doctor. It's not known how much time Price and his family spent in the house after the outbreak of war. Some accounts suggest he fled after the fall of Wilmington in 1865, fearful of what would happen with the city now under Union control. Regardless, it was after Price's death in 1868 that the house passed to his son, Joseph Price, who had also made a name for himself as a member of the Confederate Navy and is credited with the capture of the Union gunboat Water Witch. At least, that's what his obituary claims. By the time the younger Price died in 1895, he'd already moved out and over to Princess Street, renting out the property around 1880 to the Reinstein family. Frederick Reinstein himself was a decorated Confederate veteran, and he saw his family grow in number while living in the house. You'll hear more about his daughter Alice and her memories of what she dug up in the backyard of the property later in the episode. The home eventually changed hands once again, passing to Thomas J. Gauze by 1934. The captain was a veteran of the 115th Machine Battalion of the 30th Division in World War I, and later served on the New Hanover County Board of Education for 20 years. The Gauze family sold the house in 1968, after which time it would go on to host the Wilmington Chamber of Commerce and its current occupant, Bowman Murray Hemingway Architects. Though the Price Gauze house has had a revolving door of tenants and owners, someone, or something, is said to have stuck around all of these years. Dating back to when Dr. Price roamed the halls and saw patients in the basement, residents have reported unexplained creaks and footsteps on the curved staircase and the unaccompanied shutting and opening of doors. Lewis Philip Hall's Land of the Golden River even suggests the sound of metal clanking with metal could be heard in various rooms of the home, a sound that he links to the chains of prisoners being marched to their deaths. Over the years, even people passing the house outside have claimed to have seen figures standing in the upstairs windows or in the front doorway when no one was home, and always draped and clothes not of the modern era. In Hall's book, he claimed the occurrences were so frequent, the Price family and eventually the Gauze family took the idea of their home being haunted as a fact and a standard of living within its walls. But who exactly is stalking the halls of the Price-Gauze house? 
and are they a threat to those who have resided in it over time? The answer to the latter question has, for the last 150 years or so, been no. Thomas Galls' wife told the Wilmington Star News in 1957 that she heard stories of the mysterious sounds while she was dating her future husband, but brushed them off until she moved in and experienced them firsthand. Still, she and other residents and employees of the house didn't pay much mind to the harmless noises when they arose, and instead merely avoided that area of the house when the invisible residents made themselves known. But accounts vary on the possible identities of who may be causing the ruckus. One name mentioned on occasion is James Peckham, who legend tells was hanged at Gallows Hill in the 1700s for the theft of a purse. Peckham was supposedly one of those who pled his innocence until the very end, and now roams the property, according to some, seeking to prove he was falsely accused for the crime. Another presence has been cheekily named Grandpa, or George, said by some to have attempted to greet guests from the porch while wearing conspicuously old threads. The Price Gall's house has been well-researched in the years since it was erected on Gallows Hill. Every nook and cranny has been combed through by ghost hunters and paranormal investigators, all trying to capture its supposed spirits and reckon with its mysteries. More importantly for tourists here in Wilmington, it's a favorite tale on local ghost tours, with guides stopping the groups in front of the wrought iron fence to tell of the ghosts that could be looking back at them. Ghost stories are undeniably fun to ponder, and the Price Gall's house holds a sizable one that has delighted locals for decades. But what if the death that seeped into the soil from the repeated act of killing at Gallows Hill, wasn't just contained to the land on which the Price Gall's house was built. What if there was another Gallows Hill waiting to be found within Wilmington's borders? There's more to the story of Gallows Hill, and joining me to discuss it are local historians Beverly Tedderton and Chris E. Fonville Jr. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. So you guys will recognize both of their voices from previous episodes of the podcast. Uh, you will also recognize Chris's from last week. Uh, we held off on the Revolutionary War episode because the Moores Creek National Battlefield was closed due to the government shutdown when we recorded it. So. We wanted to make sure you guys could go and visit it once you heard it. Uh, so you're getting a double dose of Chris here <laughs> two weeks in a row. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's good. You're pretty knowledgeable. Uh, so you guys are here to talk about this week's topic, uh, Gallows Hill. But first, I wanted you to tell our listeners kind of how you know each other. You guys have been working together for a while. Chris, I wouldn't say is my oldest, but my longest friend in Wilmington. And I think I met him when I was the youngest of the young librarians okay. when the library was on Market Street. And we became friends and like, you know, most people talk about their children or their education or whatever. We would talk about local history. Uh, the bond you, I imagine. Uh, at the time, I was the curator of the blockade runners of the Confederacy Museum at Carolina Beach and doing research that ultimately turned into my first book. 
And um, so I was doing, um, you know, a lot of uh, footwork research in the library. And as Beverly said, that was in the old John A. Taylor house, um, what, between 4th and 5th Market Streets. And she helped me do my research. And I, I called her my pilot who guided me or navigated me safely <laughs> through the you know troubled waters to find great material for my book exactly so you guys uh you guys have done walking tours yourselves just looking up for history in wilmington and all kinds of things so i'm glad to have you kind of both here to talk about this because you've done uh research on this topic uh um, separately but also together i mean you guys were talking about it before we went on the air so i want to start out first though um with Beverly, because I gave our listeners a primer on the Price Gall's house, a little bit of the few articles I could find mentioning Gallows Hill. But you did a lot of research into that house because uh, you sit on the plaque committee for the Historic Wilmington Foundation. So you actually did research to figure out the actual origins of the house uh, to kind of qualify it for that plaque. So uh, what do we know about that house in terms of its relation to this, this particular property and this story of Gallows Hill? Well, it was built in 1860, which I figured out by looking at the deeds. Eventually, one morning at 6 o'clock, I got up and I told my husband I was going to walk over there and walk off the lots, and he thought I was crazy, but he decided to go with me. And I realized that they owned three lots, but they built this house in 1860. And it piqued my interest because I found an 1857, 1957 article from Alice Reinstein, who grew up in that house, uh, they rented it, the Reinsteins rented it from um, 1880 to 1999, and then her father died and they moved to New York. But she wrote back to the Star News and she said, you know, somebody, some people had said that the house was haunted, and she said when she was a child, she and her brothers would dig up bones in the yard, and that's where she thinks that she got her love of human anatomy and she became one of the first physicians in new york female physicians in new york city that's a heck of a a thing to discover as a child uh i'm glad it helped her become a functioning member of society uh finding bones in your backyard uh could also have gone a different direction but the whole the whole topic of of gallows hill how much do we know about that specific location actually being a, a, a place for public executions. I mean, is there a lot of documentation that singles that specific spot out? This might be a Chris question. <laughs> well, the earliest mention that we have of Gallows Hill is from the North Carolina Gazette from July of 1795, and it concerns the hanging of two men at Gallows Hill. Uh, but that doesn't specifically cite that particular site, mm-hmm. Gallows Hill. Uh, however, James Sprunt um, Chronicler of the Cape Fear, uh, Cotton Magnet, very famous Wilmingtonian, as, as you know, uh, wrote a series of articles for the Southport Ledger um, before he published um, the Chronicles of the Cape Fear River. And uh, he said that when he was a young boy, now his family was originally from Scotland, and he immigrated, they immigrated to Wilmington when Beverly, about 1847. Late 1840s. So this would have been in the 1850s that he and his friends used to hunt beyond uh, Boundary Street, which became Fifth Avenue. And he said through much of the 1800s, the 
property beyond boundary was still woods. And he and his friends used to hunt, rabbit hunt and so forth out there. And that he could remember uh, the remnants of the old gallows at Boundary Street. Mm -hmm. So that places it in that area uh, that local legend has it uh, being. Well, there's a there's a there was a few articles that I found in just newspaper databases that basically talk about Gallows Hill, but they don't really talk about where it was. Um, you know, you have a few uh, people. You know, one of those uh, I found a story in uh, in Lewis Philip Hall's Land of the Golden River that mentions it at at the Boundary Street, which would have been that Fifth Avenue. Uh, but it's just kind of more of a a place rather than a location in terms of where they were talking about it. Uh, but one thing that I thought was fascinating when I was speaking to both of you was you have done more research into there being possible other locations for a gallows hill. So was it something that would have moved over time or is it more of there could have been multiple gallows hills? Can, tell us a little it, bit about that. It was moved as the town grew. Okay. And so from Water Street to Fifth Avenue, which was Boundary Street, it's about 50 feet. So that is outside of town. So it would be the top of a hill Mm -hmm. and then they started building houses there in the late 1850s the bellamy mansion the dawson house across the street so they had to continue to move the gallows and in this case they moved it south to i believe they moved it east i mean further out market street Mm -hmm. to eighth and market street yeah and sure enough when you drive down market street there's a nice hill. Now, there are houses built atop yeah, yeah. the hill, but you can clearly see the, uh, the fairly prominent uh, high ground there. And then we have the, the article about there, John Hanby yeah, in 1895. John Hanby uh, ran a store and lived above the store at 722 Dock Street. And they found bones across the street, human bones. And like hundreds of people went to see it. Uh, so I think that pretty well documents, and in, in that article it says, the old Gallows Hill. Was the reason for moving it because you didn't want to do public executions in the actual town? I mean, or was it kind of just keeping it just, just right at the boundary so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't so visible, I guess? Well, interesting you should mention that because though it was not called Gallows Hill, there was a gallows um, at the jail on Princess Street, 2nd Princess Street. Um, that was mentioned um, in uh, Rufus Bennell's diary. It, yeah. He was an architect with the Bellamy Mansion, mm-hmm. and his arc office, James Post's office, was across the street, and he could watch people being hanged. Wow. Yeah. Different was, type of view than you want from yes. your office. <laughs> <laughs> Bennell was from Connecticut, and he came down uh, to Wilmington in 1860 as a draftsman uh, to work with James Post, who designed many buildings and private residents in Wilmington, but in this case, um, Bunnell was working uh, on the Bellamy Mansion. And okay. as Beverly said, he mentioned the gallows at, at the, uh, so there was a public execution site. In, in, town. in town. In town, okay. Right. There was, that was a courthouse, the jail, and the, the yard. Would the execution grounds that would have been Gallows Hill, whether it was at that boundary street or moved, was that for specific Executions then would it have been for you know maybe just common criminals or something like that or, or what was what was the reason of having two one being more visible and one kind of out of town? Well, Alice Reinhardt, Reinstein, Reinstein, excuse me, 
Um, and you said Ryan Smith. I said Ryan Smith, yes. Yeah, let's, let's get it straight. <laughs> yes. Between the Ryan, three of us, yeah, yeah, exactly. her name is exactly. Ryan Stein. Ryan Stein, yes. Uh, she mentions that um, that the area on which Wilmington was built was known as Seven Hills. Mm-hmm. And she understood that the neighborhood where she grew up was Gallows Hill. Of the Seven Hills, that was Gallows Hill. And she mentioned that murderers were executed there. And James Sprunt says the same thing. So mm-hmm. obviously the executions would have been for people who committed I would think capital, pun- capital yeah. punishment. Right. I read somewhere that... Uh, you know, a few names are, you know, casually have been mentioned in random stories. Do we know anything about some of these people who this legend of the ghost story have hung around that area of this original Gallows Hill? I, do, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, <laughs> don't look at me. I don't know. <laughs> and um, I asked the architects that live there, mm-hmm. I mean, that work there now, mm-hmm. and they've never heard a ghost. They haven't? No. I, th- Those, I think that really that story was the fabrication of, of the Chamber of Commerce and Nan- mm-hmm. Nancy Roberts. Um, she and her husband Bruce Roberts wrote several books on ghosts of the Carolinas, mm-hmm. and uh, they would oftentimes exaggerate stories. Um, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, particularly mm-hmm. when it comes to tales of the supernatural. Exactly. So people love a good ghost story, especially here because you know you have so many older houses, but that one has persisted. I imagine that it is fueled because of its proximity to the very real Gallows Hill. You know, this was a part of the town. So was there any other places or were there any other places that, you know, we might have seen public executions? I know that they stretched through at least the 1900s, right, Beverly? In 1910, the state of North Carolina took took away execution from counties. So and they also bought an electric chair. Mm-hmm. So after 1910, if you were convicted of a capital punishment to die, you were brought to Central Prison in Raleigh and electrocuted. The first um, electric chair was developed in New York in 1900, so North Carolina is like 10 years later. Okay. And even today, if you are uh, uh, convicted of murder, you will be killed uh, at Central Prison in Raleigh. So so New Hanover County would have been doing this from the earliest times up to 1910. Okay. Uh, in 1880, the, uh, September of 1880, the Wilmington Daily Review had an article. It was basically a, a death notice for a very prominent businessman uh, and property owner in town. His name was Isaac, Isaac Wells. Mm-hmm. And they made note that one of his more recent enterprises was close to old Gallows Hill on South 3rd Street. Now, we don't know the exact... That's a whole different Gallows Hill. I think I looked him up, and it's around 3rd and Marsteller. Okay. So could they have just done public executions more casually in other places, or was it... Did it need to be in one spot? Well... I, I don't know. I mean, if you look at it in terms of a timeline, we believe that from colonial times until circa 1850, Gallows Hill at Fifth Avenue and Market mm-hmm. was the public execution okay. ground. Then by the early 1850s, moved out to Eighth and Market mm-hmm. Streets. And then probably the last quarter of the 19th century, 
moved out to South Third Street. Okay. There may be other public execution well, sites and that we also, just haven't discovered yet. Mm-hmm. Also, at the courthouse on uh, Princess Street, that courthouse survived till 1895 when they built the courthouse that we have now. Mm-hmm. And I suspect after that time, they took people to the county farm. Okay. After, after, after say, 1895, because you've got a new courthouse. They're building buildings with the old courthouse on Princess Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did you find some? Uh, yeah, I, I found a newspaper article oh, okay. from 1900 in New oh, right. County. Okay. And there was a, an execution on the Gallows Hill on South Third Street in Fort okay. Stella. So, 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 I mean, this there were there's evidence of there being you know multiple multiple of these, and that was kind of the what fascinated me about the story was it is tied more broadly if you're maybe a tourist in this area to the the ghost story of of the price gall's house but this was kind of uh, you know this was a facet of life in colonial times you know this is people were being hanged and and so i i find it ironic that kind of a, a really a central point for this town now where the Keenan Fountain is there at Market and Fifth Avenue uh, and the Bellevue Mansion uh, is where public executions were done. They, you know, a whole different type of spectator came out to and that spot. I found one article, I forget the date, I think it was maybe the 1870s, it was at the end of the 1860s, and they said 2,000 people turned out for this public hanging and the whole population of wilmington was thirteen thousand. a good chunk of town was going out and and you might think that you know people brought their children of course public executions were meant to be a deterrent yeah against crime the visibility of them would have you know you would have seen them same way they would hang uh, pirates over Mm -hmm. waterways to get other pirates to be like, oh, maybe I should, you know, hang up my hat and get a more, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> normal job. Uh, of course, the number of attendees at these public executions would have depended on the notoriety of the uh, condemned, mm-hmm. um, the amount of publicity mm-hmm. that it got, uh, and it could become an entire spectacle. You know, absolutely, yeah. It's it's fascinating and grim, I guess you would say, uh, chapter of this region's history. What uh, it's a topic that keeps you hanging on. <laughs> there you go. And if you look in the newspaper, every town had a gallows hill. Raleigh had a gallows hill. Statesville had a gallows hill. Um, mm-hmm. It was pretty common. It was. It's just uh, you know, with the podcast, uh, you find kind of chapters of Wilmington's history that you would have seen elsewhere, but they're kind of ingrained in in different ways in our area, and I think it's because it's tied to that that ghost story that so many people hear on ghost tours. And also that Alice found human bones when she was a child. I, I just can't imagine digging that up in your backyard and and not only digging them up, but then being like, oh, wow, Like this has sparked something in me that, uh, you know, And a, I was thinking about later, say like at 3rd and Marcella or, or south third or what they did with the bodies because they didn't i don't think i think they had stopped burying them right there Mm -hmm. and i think they probably went to this cemetery oak grove cemetery which could be a whole nother story for your podcast but um because they could have been buried in one of the other cemeteries but normally these people if they were african-americans they'd be in pine forest and if they were 
poor or less fortunate whites. I mean, say they were a sailor who came into town and got in trouble and was executed. They'd take him to Oak Grove. And we yeah. might mention that Oak Grove um, was modern-day uh, 16th and 17th Street extension, yes. south of where the Star News building yes, it was, was yeah. until recently. Um, and, the, and Bill Rees figured there were about 10,000 people yeah. buried in there. That is where uh, they just recently built uh, – The Vault. Yeah, The Vault. It's yeah. actually been renamed now, but – uh, it's uh, go, uh, but there were all kinds of stories that came out of that that burial ground as well. So th- this the story of Gallows Hill. It's not it's not necessarily confined to that specific area. There would have been places around town that would have also been, you know, I guess the scenic background for uh, public executions. It's hard for us to imagine when we walk around downtown Wilmington mm-hmm. and the hustle and bustle that if you go back just you know two hundred and 25 years that uh, Fifth and Market Streets, as you said, would have been, you know, where there were public executions. Absolutely. It's just hard hard to fathom, almost. We might mention that the Public Archaeology Corps, and we're both board members, are trying to get permission to excavate at least two of the Gallows Hill. Again, we don't know mm-hmm. the lo- its exact location of the third but one. But we're pretty sure we know. <laughs> well, I mean the one on South Third Street. Oh, that yeah, one. Yeah, I don't that know. one. We don't know the that one on the we, ones on Market. We're we're confident. Mm-hmm. Beverly and I are both. I call her BT. We're very <laughs> because our friends. <laughs> uh, I named her that many decades ago. Um, we're very confident that there was a Gallows Hill at Fifth Avenue and Market, mm-hmm. and we're very confident there was one at. Eighth um, and Market Streets, okay. and um, so we hope to excavate uh, there and uh, and perhaps find you know concrete proof mm-hmm. of the locations of Gallows Hills. Would the concrete proof be bodies? It could be. It could be bodies. It could be some sort of structure, posts, you know, or some type of material, yeah. some mm-hmm. type of artifact that would prove that you know, similar to the discussion we had about Moore's Creek National Battlefield, where you kind of place it there you know memory places it there but finding stuff you know finding material things would have placed it there for sure that's right we want to find some archaeological features or artifacts that would definitely um, prove that those were the sites of gallows hills all right well keep me up to date on that and i'll keep our listeners up to date on that if you do start uh you know start digging around uh, I, I think it's just a fascinating story of uh a place that's that again so visible right now in Wilmington. It's one of the first places I remember seeing when I moved here about six years ago. Just that that spot because the Conjuring had just come out and they they feature a shot of that Keenan Fountain in that square in the movie, and so it's very prominent now. But it uh, had quite a different purpose, you know, two hundred years ago. Uh, thank you both for being here so much, and you guys will be back in future episodes for sure. Uh, so people hear from you again. Okay, Looking thanks. forward to it. It's always a lot of fun talking with you. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and the tale of two gallows hills. Thank you so much for joining me. Be sure to share your thoughts on this week's episode on Twitter with the hashtag CFUnearthed. Or you can email us your thoughts at capefearunearthed at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the show, you should also join our Facebook group where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their thoughts on the region's history. In that group, I also post extra content like pictures pertaining to each week's episode and more as the season progresses. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. Finally, 
you can get a list of all the books, articles, and resources used in researching this podcast in the show notes of each episode. Cape Fear on Earth was written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com. Additional editing is done by Adam Fish, and this episode was recorded at WHQR Studios in downtown Wilmington, which has been gracious enough to host us this season. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show so you never miss an episode. While you're there, leave us a review, which will help more people find Cape Fear unearthed. Until next week, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. What you learn might just surprise you. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.